and good and a good morning and a hello to everyone who has been joining us about the country and about the world we we love you very much and thank you for joining us and we pray and we hope and trust that the exposition of God's Word will heal your mind and your soul even your body this week and may he reveal himself to you through his word and the way that he knows best. Would you pray with me please, Sovereign Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful summer's day. Thank you for everyone here who is gathered to hear you speak to them by way of your ancient, inspired, and preserved words. We thank you for the opportunity in our small, humble way to teach and proclaim your word and to proclaim your word throughout the world and we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit with the proclamation of your word to open the minds and hearts the souls of everyone who watches everyone who listens everyone who hears to receive the truth of your word to obey it to appropriate the truth of your your word in and over their life may many souls be brought into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus by the proclamation of your word we pray for everyone of our number who is traveling or who may be ill, not with us this morning, we pray for everyone who is watching and listening. Bless them, defend them, protect them, help them in all of their situations and circumstances. And please, Lord, hear and honor our prayers on behalf of all of those who have been mentioned earlier in the service this morning. May the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord our God, our Rock and our Redeemer. You who are our and the world's one and only hope. And you who are more than hope enough for one and for all. In Jesus' holy and sacred name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me please to honor the reading of the word of the Lord. Gospel of John. Chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. We are still in this very important incident or event uh, with Jesus in the Jerusalem temple. The cleansing of the temple at the beginning of his ministry. Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews therefore said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed. They believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. These are the words of the Lord, and thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. So today we take up the remainder of this passage, beginning again in verse 19. Quite an amazing statement of Jesus, one of the most profound truth statements that he makes in the four Gospels. And we should give this truth statement the attention that it demands, that it deserves. So we take up the remainder of this passage, this incident, Jesus, what we traditionally refer to as Jesus' cleansing of the temple. Again, I say for the first time, uh, I'm convinced by those theologians and scholars who believe that he actually did this twice. 
as I mentioned to you last week. Sometimes in the other Gospels you'd get the impression this, this event occurred only once, at the beginning of what we call Passion Week, the day of the famed triumphal entry. I, I am pretty much convinced that Jesus did this twice, that John is not rearranging the chronology even for a spiritual teaching of Jesus' life, that he purged the temple of its, of its corruption at this particular Passover, the beginning of his ministry, and he will do so again at the end of his ministry, at the beginning of Passion Week. And the fact that Jesus did this twice, it helps to explain the irrational hatred and the fear that he encountered at the hands of the religious establishment of his day. So we resume here this very important conversation now. As Pardon the American expression for our international viewers, as the dust begins to settle, as we say here, the literal dust begins to settle from Jesus purging the temple, driving out this stock exchange and this stockyard in what was to be the most holy and sacred place to pursue God on planet Earth at the time, we have something of a confrontation. The religious establishment swarms him and makes demands of his right, his authority. How dare he do such an outlandish and outrageous thing? And we off, uh, well, we left off of verse 19. Quite an incredible statement, wasn't it? I gave you the basic foundational truth of this statement when we left off at this passage last week. And I asked you to think about it and to meditate on it from that Sunday to this. What Jesus is really saying and what that statement means for that era in history and how that statement applies to us 20 centuries later. So this incredible statement that Jesus makes, it is a reply, it's a direct reply to their challenge, to their demand, to the temple authorities when they demand that Jesus produce some sort of evidence, ironic, a simeon. This is a very important word to John that we've discussed before. A simeon, a sign, an event, an action, a miracle, something that points to transcendent or divine presence or work of authority. This is what they demand of Jesus. This is something of a messianic action, by the way, that he performs. And he does fulfill messianic scriptures, Psalm 69 and Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, for a start. And so they challenge him. Maybe this man is some sort of messianic pretender. If you are the Messiah, give us a sign to justify your outrageous actions in their eyes that particular day, morning, afternoon, or evening. Um, so what <clears throat> Jesus says concerning himself here in verse 19, let's resume here and continue to unpack it or dig down deep into the truth of what this passage, this incident has for us. Jesus answered and said to them, and he does so well nigh immediately, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Incredible thing to say, period, much less what's been happening there for the past hour or two hours or three hours. Probably didn't happen fast, cleaning out an entire complex of 40 and 45 acres of all the grifters and grafters, thieves of every shape, stripe you can imagine, money changers at their stock exchange. Herds of animals, which are actually supposed to be over the Kidron Valley, outside of the temple, outside of the city, over on the Mount of Olives, where they used to be before the corruption was just bald-faced brought into the temple precincts itself. And right offhand, it's a startling thing to say. 
bit dramatic, even for someone who reads it all these years later, a bit enigmatic for some, it is, it's mysterious. And it should be obvious, though, for someone in the first century A.D., it should have been obvious that there is more here at first than what, if you'll pardon the expression, what may at first meet the eye or ear concerning what Jesus says here. They should have known that he was speaking in figures, in symbols, in simile, in metaphor. To teach spiritual truths in metaphor or simile or figures of speech, it was extremely common in the ancient world. It was extremely common with the ancient people, of the, the ancient Jewish people. It was extremely common with the pagans. Rabbis did this all the time. Theologians did this all the time. So they should have known, whoa, whoa, whoa what? what is that he said? There's something more here than meets the ear, than meets the eye. There's a spiritual truth. There's something more profound here that, he, that he's saying. Whoa, who is he? Well, where does he come from? Why is he doing this? Well, where are this authority that he claims he has? Where, where does this really come from? My point is they should have stopped to think, to ask him questions, to actually enter into some sort of dialogue with him, but they didn't bother. They didn't care. They refused the truth. They didn't want the truth in the first place to begin with. But it, Jesus answers them immediately, right away. It's a very strong answer. And I'm sure he probably surprised them. He probably took them off guard by giving this... He shoots back with this answer immediately. I'm sure they were, they were stunned all over again. He took them a bit off guard by this answer. He probably bewildered them by saying this. Such a reply, and instantly, it doesn't take one meditating over this passage much to probably come to the conclusion it's not what they expected. It's not what they expected to hear. It's not what they anticipated. He does have the right and authority to do what he just did, what he just accomplished. And yes, that authority he's saying in a roundabout way, in an oblique way, in a very profound way, I do have messianic authority to do what I just did. The right and authority to do what I just did is transcendent. It is of the miraculous and the supernatural. I do have divine authority from my Father to defend and protect the sanctity of my Father's house and to judge you and your corrupt system that I have found here. This is what Jesus says and means. For those, to quote Jesus, who have eyes to see and who have ears to hear, who have eyes to see and ears to hear what he really is saying what this means. And I remember from last week when Jesus says, destroy this temple. Destroy is luo in the original Greek. And this word can be applied to both a human being. It can be applied to a building. Isn't that interesting? It was most often applied to a human being and to a building. It meant to kill a person. Or it meant to tear down, demolish, and destroy a building. Isn't that interesting? A very specific choice of words. For a reason. Okay? So recall that John uses both Greek words in the Koine Greek vocabulary for temple here in this passage. Let me remind you. First of all, he uses the word hieron, which means the entire temple property, the entire temple complex, not only the sanctuary, the temple, which contained the Holy of Holies, but all 45, 45 acres of the temple complex, the royal stoa, Solomon's colonnade, all of those porches, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court where only the men and the priests could enter into, nearer 
the temple sanctuary to perform those sacrifices. When Jesus arrived at the Hieron, he finds all of this corruption and all of this pandemonium, this stock exchange, this stockyard, and he judges it. He cleans it out. But here, John records Jesus as using the second and an even more meaningful word for temple in the Koine Greek language. He uses the word naos here. Destroy this naos. And in three days, I will raise it up. Now the naos is, if you remember my explanation from, from last week, the naos is a far more meaningful word for a temple. The naos means what we would call the sanctum sanctorum, to use the Latin as the Romans would, the inner sanctuary. In the Jewish temple, the temple of the one true living God upon planet earth, it was the magnificent temple structure, which hopefully Bernie will put on the screen for you here shortly. It was the place which contained the most holy place, the holy of holy place. The place which no one could enter but the high priest and only one day once a year. That was the place where God Almighty in His localized presence was said to meet and dwell with His people. That's the Naos. And to the pagans, the Naos is the place where the picture or the, the pagan idol of Zeus or Apollo or whoever would stand. It was a place where the deity was actually believed to dwell. This is what Jesus says here. That's what makes that statement so shocking. Destroy the Holy of Holies itself. The place where God Almighty presumably comes to meet and dwell with you people. And in three days, I'll raise it up again. Now what in the world does He really mean by that? Destroy the Holy of Holies and in three days I will raise it up? Again, put yourself in the shoes or the sandals of those people standing there listening to this, hearing this for the first time. Their jaws probably hit the pavement. What an utterly unexpected, and from their point of view, a fantastic, even an outrageous thing to say. Yes, there it is. A bit out of proportion in the photograph. But there is that magnificent building dwelt by Herod, which historians believe we should add it to the great wonders of the ancient world. Certainly one of the architectural, pardon me, wonders of the ancient world. The place where God Almighty, from old covenant times, in His localized presence, was said to come and dwell with His covenant people upon this earth. Jesus is saying, tear that down. Or is that really what He's saying? In three days, I will raise it up again. They must have been absolutely bewildered by Him saying this. It's outrageous from their point of view, really, this statement of face value. Whatever in the world can He mean by that? What is He really saying? Is it literal? Is it metaphorical? Is He saying something even deeper and more profound? Oh yes, He is. He's saying something far deeper and more profound. This is one of the most profound statements Jesus ever made. Verse 20, The Jews therefore said, it took 46 years to build this temple. And you will raise it up in three days. Remember, Jesus is making this statement in the very presence, in the very shadow of that building. This is a wonderful model that you can see in Jerusalem if you visit there. But I'm sure the magnificence of the original temple, as it actually was, was even greater than what you're looking at in that wonderful model. And Jesus is making His statement in the very presence, in the very shadow of that building, of that naos, of that temple, on temple grounds, Hieron. 
He's only yards away from the famed beautiful temple, this wonder, architectural wonder of the ancient world. And yet this enormous building, as magnificent and beautiful and meaningful as it was, it is not primarily what Jesus is really referring to, what he's really speaking of. And I have wondered for so many years, how did he gesture when he said this? Did he make any gesture at all? Destroy this thing that you revere, that you love so much, by the way that you've corrupted and profaned. Three days I'll raise it up. Or was he actually gesturing to his own body? <laughs> Tear down this temple. This naos. Three days I will raise it up. Or perhaps he didn't gesture at all. Perhaps he just, forgive me, my cord is making an attempt to attack me. Um, have you wondered that? Or merely he just wheeled right about on them. Got up in their face, as the young folks say. And just said, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up again. Now think about that. Stew on that for a little while. I would love to have seen that. Perhaps someday in eternity, we will know exactly how that event played out in some way or another. But even if he did, from the text, those surrounding him obviously did not truly understand. I believe even if he did gesture to his very own person, they were so spiritually blind and deaf and dumb and dead that they wouldn't have got it anyway. They wouldn't have perceived correctly in full what he meant. And by their very reply, you can tell. They're in spiritual ignorance, spiritual darkness. They had no idea of what he was actually saying. And they could have stopped to ask him. Religious teachers at this time love to debate these sort of things in that type of language, and nobody bothered. Did you notice? Nobody cared to. By the way, this wonderful statement given by Jesus, our big brother John, our elder brother John in the faith, He's very, very honest. <laughs> and he is under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He tells us that he and his brother disciples did not even understand at the moment what in the world he was talking about, what this meant. But the point is, in time, they will. They didn't understand at that time. They didn't understand at that very moment. But in time, they will. They will be blessed by God, by the Son of God, by the Spirit of God, to have their spiritual eyes and ears open, and they will understand. They will perceive, they will encounter, they will experience what this means and what Jesus was speaking of. Conversely, Jesus' enemies, the corrupt establishment, they never will. How do we know they never will? Well, we believe that some of them will in time after the day of Pentecost. The book of Acts tells us that even some of Jesus' old enemies believed and received life in His name. But many of them, most of them probably did not. And how do we know? Well, we know by three years later. Do you remember what the other Gospels say? According to the other Gospels, at Jesus' trial, that sham kangaroo court trial, pardon the expression, in which trying Jesus as they did in the middle of the night, they broke all of their own laws and how to conduct a legal trial. But at Jesus' trial, three years later, according to Mark 14 in particular, false witnesses were bribed, false witnesses were paid off to make accusations against Jesus in this sham court. 
And what did they say? He claimed years ago that he could tear down the temple or tear down this temple. He's threatening the temple. And in three days, he said he could raise it up again. And it's just gibberish. They can't get their facts right. They can't get the quote right. They didn't understand what he was saying. They contradict each other. The trial was a complete and total hash. But they try to use this statement against Jesus, proving they had no clue what he said. Nor did they bother to try to find the truth of what he said. The disciples, however, these humble men, these fishermen, these rural guys from up there in the rural province of Galilee, they were blessed by God with being given the truth. And they received the truth. And all of those who truly believe in Jesus receive the truth of this statement. And the reader and the hearer of this gospel, whenever this gospel is taught, whenever it is proclaimed, they are privileged to be given the truth here of what Jesus meant and thereby are being challenged to receive the truth of what Jesus said and meant and to receive it and submit to it by faith. Let me read verse 20 again. The Jews therefore said it took 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. So obviously the religious authorities did not understand him. They did not try. They took what he said at face value, that what he was saying was literal concerning this magnificent physical structure. They thought he literally meant to tear down the temple structure and that he claimed therefore that he could miraculously reconstruct it again in three days. Now that would be a sign. That would be a miracle. That would be a Simeon. That would convince them, or would it? Pitiful thing, isn't it? That would be a sign. That would be a messianic act. Messianic act. That would be a Simeon pointing to supernatural or miraculous or divine authority, would it not? Now let's answer this question. Could Jesus have done such a thing? Outrageous thing to say. Could Jesus have done such a thing? Remember the prologue. I'll remind you of this constantly in our trip to the Gospel of John. Everything that you read, everything that you see, everything that you encounter, all through the Gospel of John, you have to read it, you have to look at it, you have to understand it through the lens of the truth of the prologue that we spent so much time in. Remember the Jesus of the prologue? He is the divine Son of God. The Word made flesh. He who is in the beginning with God. He who was with God and He who was and is God. He who is God the Father's agent in creation who made all things and without Him nothing that exists would, would exist. So would He have had the transcendent, supernatural, or miraculous power to build that thing up again within three days of it being torn down? Yes, of course He could. Of course He could. He is God the Father's agent in creating the universe and everything that it contains. But that's not what he meant. He meant something even more incredible, frankly. He meant something even more miraculous than tearing down that building and building it back up within a three-day period of time. He meant something even more supernatural. And yes, he meant something even more conclusive and more authoritative. But these apostate materialists could only perceive the literal and the material. It took 46 years to build this temple. Unbelief and darkened minds resulted in a crassly literal interpretation. 
And that often happens with sacred scripture to this very day. Those who are spiritually darkened and dead often try to take the Bible completely out of context or in a crassly erroneous interpretation. And these people 20 centuries ago who say this, they're supposed to be the spiritual elites. They're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the old covenant people. Does this statement by Jesus ring a bell? If the blind lead the blind, will not both fall into the ditch? That's precisely what's happening here. They of all people should have been expected to perceive and understand that Jesus was saying something metaphorical but important and real and profound. He's alluding to something of this nature and they should have stopped and taken the interest and the care to find out. They had no intention of finding out. Oh no, not at all. But God will reveal His greatest and profound truths to the humble. We're finding this out in our study of 1 Samuel on Tuesday nights. How many times throughout history, even church history, secular history, how many times throughout the pages of sacred scripture is this principle taught to us? He will elevate the lowly and the humble, and He will take down the proud and the arrogant. He will reveal the most profound truths concerning Himself to those who are humble and lowly. He will not do so for the self-worshipping, the rebellious, the arrogant, and the proud. He revealed these profound truths to those humble disciples, and He will judge the arrogant and the proud and the corrupt, the religious establishment who prefer to worship themselves and the darkness over God and His revealed truth. Now, on a historical note, somebody's already asked, asked me this question, so I'll answer it today. Can you give us some sort of historical note explanation on their statement here? It took 46 years to build this temple. Is that right? Is that true historically? Well, concerning this statement, 46 years to build this, the statement of Jesus' adversaries here, the reconstruction of this temple complex, it was started, so the Jewish historians and the Greco-Roman historians tell us, that monster as Herod was, you have to give him this much. He was something of an architectural genius or a genius in uh, starting very magnificent architectural projects, let's put it that way. And the ancient historians tell us that this temple complex, the Great Reconstruction, as magnificent a place as Herod and the Jewish people wanted it to be, wanted to restore it, they wanted to restore it to the glory that it had at the time of King Solomon. And in the destruction of the first temple in the old exile, it was destroyed, wasn't it? Solomon's temple was totally destroyed. When they came back from exile, Zerubbabel, those folks built another temple, but it was not at all the magnificent structure of King Solomon's. So along comes the tyrant Herod, put in place by the Romans. And Herod wants to basically impress the world with his prowess as a ruler. He wants to ingratiate the Jewish people. I believe in some way this twisted man wants to buy his way into heaven. And so he begins this, he's going to make the temple once again as magnificent as it was in the days of Solomon. He begins this in the 18th year of his reign which would be about 20 to 19 B.C. So 46 years from the commencement of that construction project, one of the greatest of the ancient world, it would suggest that it was around 27, 28, or 29 A.D. that Jesus cleansed the temple and that this uh, statement was made by his enemies, by his adversaries. 
quite accurate. And so it's interesting to note that the entire temple complex, even at the time that Jesus is confronted by these people, even at the time of the first cleansing of the temple, that structure is not completely finished. Now let me explain. The naos itself was finished. That magnificent building you see there that contained the Holy of Holies, it was finished. The royal stoa, another magnificent structure which made up the south part of the temple complex, it was finished. Much of what uh, the Gospels call Solomon's porch or Solomon's colonnade, much of it was finished. The Roman fort attached to one corner was mostly finished, but somewhere in that 40 or 45 acre complex, even at this time, it wasn't completely finished. There was some sort of construction project work going on. In fact, the ancient historians tell us that there was construction work going on somewhere in the temple complex up until A.D. 64, over 30 years after Jesus spoke these words. And here's one of history's great tragic ironies. The ancient historians tell us the whole place was completely finished in A.D. 64. What happened six years later? A.D. 70, the great Jewish war with Rome. And just exactly as Jesus of Nazareth predicted and prophesied, the entire temple complex was well nigh completely destroyed in A.D. 70 by the hands of the Romans at the great siege of Jerusalem. By the way, I will again say all of it prophesied by Jesus Himself. Now many theologians believe, I, I think rightly so, that this statement of Jesus about destroying the temple, yes, of course, it is primarily about Himself. And I will get to the wonderful truth of that in a moment. But, this statement of Jesus destroying the temple. I believe it was about the physical temple standing there, but only in this way. He is making a statement about that physical temple. But please understand, only in this way. Jesus is saying that that magnificent temple built by Herod, it's obsolete. It's no longer needed. You may as well tear it down. You yourselves have profaned it. Pilate didn't profane it when he wanted to hang Roman standards on the fort attached to it, and you demanded that he take it down, it made him hate you even more. The pagans haven't desecrated my father's house. You have desecrated my father's house. It's ruined. It's corrupted. It's profane. You may as well tear it down. By the way, it's now obsolete. It's no longer needed. It's no longer necessary. That magnificent, beautiful structure as it is, it is no longer the real temple. That's what Jesus is saying. So take it down. It's not the real temple anymore anyway. A greater temple is here. The real temple is here. The most magnificent temple of all has arrived and is standing right here on holy ground that you have dared to profane. Tear down that old temple. Tear down this new temple that I'm announcing. Tear down this greater temple. Tear down the greatest temple of all that is now sta standing here. And in three days, I, yes, I, I will raise it up again. Three days. Verse 21. And John gives us this magnificent explanation. But he was speaking of the temple, the naos, the holy of holies, of his body. His own body. He was speaking of the temple, naos. He was speaking of the temple of his body, soma, S-O-M-A. 
in the Greek, which means what? Your actual temporal, corporeal, physical, flesh and blood body. It's absolutely magnificent and amazing what he's saying here. He's saying that his very own personal flesh and blood, physical body is a holy of holies. The sanctuary where God the Almighty himself in his localized presence was supposed to dwell. Tear down, destroy this temple, this naos, the very holy of holies where God dwells. He's referring to himself. His very own body. Jesus is saying that he himself, his body, is now the naos, the temple. The true holy of holies where God dwells and visits with humanity. Remember the prologue? And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He tabernacled amongst us. He templed amongst us in the Holy of Holies of His incarnate person. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's one of the most magnificent statements He ever made in all of the four Gospels. Jesus is saying that what? Put it together. Think with me. I demand that you think. Reason, logic, rationality. Much of American Christianity has come to despise thinking. And that's why we are in the horrendous mess that we're in. Put this together. If Jesus, His very body, is the true Holy of Holies, the greatest temple in this world, then that means God dwells there. So Jesus is saying that He is the one true God of Israel, of the old covenant people, who is now in person visiting humanity. His body is the nous, the temple, the most holy place where God the Almighty really dwells. He's not there anymore. He's in a better temple. Jesus, the Word of God, the Son of God, God the Son, He is the ultimate revelation and visitation of God to humanity, one of the greatest principal foundational messages of the entire Gospel of John from the prologue onwards. That's what Jesus is saying to these people. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. To you and to me. And these poor disciples, humble Galilean fishermen, they of all people, will be blessed to realize this. Will we, will you, will we and do we, will we believe, do we believe what He is saying here? Who He really is? And will we be blessed thereby to receive the life that Jesus offers to all who believe and thereby can receive? Jesus is saying, you don't need that building over there anymore. I'm here. As foretold, as prophesied, and oh yes, I have the authority to judge on behalf of my Father. The greatest temple of all has arrived. You see, Jesus is saying anywhere He walks, anywhere He stands, anywhere He sits, anywhere He lies down, anywhere He eats, anywhere He resides, that place is the most holy place. That place is holy ground. For the Word made flesh, God the Son, is there in His localized presence, visiting His human creatures. Now, what else does Jesus mean by tear this temple down, destroy this temple? Jesus is saying, let's put it together, tear down, destroy my body. In other words, kill me. Go ahead. I know what you want to do. 
do it. Tear down both of these temples. That one's not needed anymore. You need this one. Go ahead. Tear down this temple. Destroy this body, the greatest temple of all. And in three days I will raise it up. In three days I will come back. I will come back. On my own power, my own ability, my own authority, I will raise it up. By the way, you will notice in the sacred scriptures that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a Trinitarian work. Sometimes He is mentioned as being raised by the Father. Sometimes He has been mentioned as being raised by the Spirit. And here Jesus explicitly states, I will come back. I will raise up the, this temple, my body, on my own power and my own authority and my own ability. When you see God the Son at work, you are also seeing the Father at work and you're also seeing the Spirit at work. There is your sign. There is your Simeon of my authority to do what I have done here today. My authority to judge, my authority to act, my authority to judge all that is taking place here. In three days I will raise it up, tear down my body, tear down the temple. And in three days I will raise my body, this temple, up again. Jesus is speaking obviously of what? <coughs> Pardon me. He's predicting His crucifixion. He's predicting His own death at their hands. His atoning death. His crucifixion at the hands of evil men. The evil men that He's speaking to and the evil pagans who will join them. And He is speaking of His resurrection. That's right. The triumph and victory of His own resurrection. The raising up of His body. This temple. <clears throat> Verse 22. Excuse me. Please pardon me. I crave your patience. I think this is the first time I've actually drank from water. A water bottle during the message. Why don't I do this more often? Forgive me, I appreciate your understanding. Isn't our big brother the Apostle <clears throat> wonderful in his honesty? Verse 22, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed. They believed the Scriptures and the Word which Jesus had spoken. So John honestly and readily admits that he and his brother Apostles at that time, they did not understand truly what Jesus was saying, what He meant. But the point is, praise God, they will. They will be given this truth, and they did not keep it to themselves. By He who is the risen temple, they obeyed His command to not keep this truth, but to give it to you, and to give it to me, and to give it to those worldwide for 20 centuries from that time to this. It was only after the temple of Jesus' body was torn down and was raised up again that they were enabled to put it all together. They connected all the dots. All the puzzle pieces fell perfectly into place that they were able to understand in full. And I'm sure in the 40 days after His resurrection, the raising up of the temple, before He ascended to heaven, Jesus probably took pains to explain this to them. And upon the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of the living God entered their minds and their souls and put everything together in perfect perspective that Jesus said. Everything He said, everything He did, and everything the Old Testament ever prophesied or foretold about Him. And it all came clear to them in full. Jesus, God the Spirit, the sacred Scriptures opened their eyes after the event of the resurrection. 
the temple of Jesus' body raised up in three days. Just exactly as Jesus said. And here is the final proof of his authority, isn't it? Here is the sign. Here is a Simeon that his adversaries demanded. You want a sign? You want a Simeon? Oh, I'll give you one. I'll give you one on my terms, not on yours. On the terms of God the Father's, not on yours. You do not make demands of God, the Father, the Son, or the Spirit. But the divine plan will reveal for you signs which you could not possibly handle or imagine. Jesus will give them the proof, the sign. It will be His very own death at their hands and His very own resurrection. His atoning death, the reason for which the Word made flesh and entered the world. His atoning death and resurrection is the final proof, the final sign of His authority to judge the temple, the sacred space, in behalf of God the Father. One of, if not the greatest, Simeon, the greatest signs of all. And as far as Jesus is concerned, obviously, that conclusively settles the matter once and for all. And for the disciples, <laughs> when these events actually took place, what do we say? Hindsight's twenty-twenty to a degree. You have to encounter it. You have to experience something, and then it will come to you. Right? How often the Lord works that way in the lives of these men and in our lives. It all comes clear. It all comes together for them. Then the full significance of the words and deeds of Jesus all came together for them to make clear sense of all things that happened. Full understanding. Two very important points as we close on this verse today. Of all things that John says, and they, meaning we, I, me, I, Simon, James, my brother, Andrew, Bartholomew, Philip, all the others. And we don't know how many disciples are actually with him, all the twelve at this time, maybe, maybe not. They believe the Scriptures. You would have thought that at first if we said, oh yes, it became clear after he rose from the dead. And he explained it. And we believed everything that he said to us. Well, he does say that. But not first. What does he place first? They believed the Scriptures. Isn't that interesting? We believe the Bible. We believe the Old Testament. We believed everything that our parents told us. We believed everything that the rabbi taught us in school, in synagogue, back home in Galilee. The Bible, the sacred scriptures, the word of God, the word of the prophets, the word of the patriarchs. It all came together for us at last, crystal clear. You see what he's saying? It's very significant. They came to see, they came to know that the Bible, the ancient scriptures, the Old Testament, it was all about Jesus. He was at the heart. He was at the center. He was at the core. He was the foundation of it all. He was the meaning and purpose of it all. He was the great subject matter of it all. It was all about Jesus. When you read your Old Testament, look for Him there. He is there. And when your failed teacher and your failed messenger fails to bring that to your attention, when we study the Old Testament on Tuesday night, remind Him. Because Jesus is there. On every page. 
John and his brother disciples believed that the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Old Testament, all of those words were all about Jesus. And notice what he says. And they believed the word which Jesus has spoken. In other words, oh, we believed everything that he said there that day when he first cleansed the temple. How dare you make my father's house a den of thieves, a place of merchandise. We understood he is God the Son. God truly was his father. And what all that meant, we understood that he had the right to really come in and judge this sacred space. We believed every word that he said on that occasion. We believed when he said, you tear down this temple... And in three days I will raise it up. We understood exactly what he meant. And even that was prophesied in the Old Testament Scriptures that we had heard all of our lives and didn't fully understand until this time. You see what else John is saying? Put it together this way. He and his brother disciples believed in the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Old Testament, and they believed in the spoken words of He who is the Word of God made flesh. After the actual events of Jesus' death and resurrection, they remembered that Jesus said, destroy this temple, my body. In three days I will raise up my body, this greatest temple, up again. <coughs> Pardon me. And they believed. They believed the Bible. They believed Jesus Himself. What He said. Everything He did. Let me point out this word to you again in the original Greek. It's pistuon. Pistuo. It's a very important word. In the New Testament, we always translate it as faith or belief or to believe. And it's a very strong word. It's very personal. We believe. This, it means personal faith, one-on-one. -on -one. You and something and someone else. You really entrust yourself totally to this truth, to this concept, to this person. That's what John is saying. I put all of my hopes and all of my dreams, everything I am, everything I could ever hope to be, I put that faith, that trust, that personal confidence in the Bible and what it said about Jesus. And I and my brother apostles, we put all of our hopes, all of our dreams, our past life, our present life, our future life, our, our, our hopes for a, an eternal life, whatever that's going to be. We have put all of that personally in Jesus Himself and none other. Personally. Everything He did, everything He said, everything He stands for, everything He is. It's that kind of belief. It's that kind of faith. That's the faith and belief that he had in the Bible and that he had in Jesus. And that is precisely the kind of faith and trust and confidence and commitment and belief that he is challenging you and I to put in the sacred scriptures and to put in Jesus himself everything he did, everything he said as the word of God made flesh. So John is challenging us at the end of this incident in the temple. Do we believe? John is saying, I believed. We believed. I'm giving this to you. Do you believe? Will you believe? Have you arrived here at the place where we arrived at yet? Do we understand the words of the Word made flesh? Do we see Him for who He truly was and is? Do we believe in His mission? and receive the blessings of His accomplished mission, that mission of this temple torn down and this temple raised up again? Do we believe 
those inspired ancient recorded words, the Old Testament, the sacred scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, and what they say about Jesus, the true temple, the Word of God made flesh, the ultimate visitation that God ever made to humanity. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the greatest temple of all that was torn down, but that was raised. And by believing in the sacred Scriptures, and by believing in every word He spoke, you too may have life. Real life. Eternal life. Life as it was always meant to be. In His name. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank You for the truth of this event so faithfully recorded by one of this great event's participants. Thank You for giving these ancient and sacred words to us that we may see, that we may hear, that we may believe by Your mercy and by Your graciousness that we may believe the ancient scriptures, that we may believe the words of Jesus, and we may receive the truth that He is, that you are, and receive life in His name according to your divine plan. Thank you, Lord, for these ancient words of truth. I pray that you will send out your Holy Spirit to whoever watches and listens, that they may bow the knee, literally and physically, and spiritually to this truth and receive life in Jesus' name, in Jesus' holy name, and for the purpose of His kingdom, we pray. Amen.